as a rule, when parents teach their children lessons, they don't use those lessons against their children later. Such was the case for me. My parents taught me early on, much like I'm sure you taught your children early on, that we, when we come to a busy street, we should look both ways before crossing. I took that lesson to heart, apparently, although I don't remember the lesson itself. I do know that I learned it well because when I was a preschooler, four, maybe five years old, I don't remember the exact age, but I remember that my brother, who's two years older than I am, has always been my hero. My brother had gone to school. We lived in Bel Air, Texas. We lived probably, I don't know, maybe a third of a mile, half a mile maybe from the school where my brother attended. And one day, my little friend Doug and I were playing out in the front yard as a preschool kid, and I decided that I should go to school where my brother was. And so I marched into the house with Doug in tow, and I said, Mama, I'm going to school. And my mother, thinking, now ah, he's just playing one of those kid games, said, Okay, Mark. Now, a couple hours later, when she picked me up at the school, I was in trouble for some reason. One of these days, you'll get a chance to meet her, and you can get her side of the story, but I, I vividly remember being in trouble because I made it to school. One of the things that just kind of really messed with my mother's head was the fact in order, that I had to, to get in from our house to where that school was, I had to cross a fairly major traffic thoroughfare. If you think of Mesa and Montana during the middle of a work day, that's about what it was like. And so as a preschool kid and his little buddy, I guess I learned to look both ways. I'm going to suggest to you today that that lesson that we learned in childhood has great impact in the way we live our lives every day, but when we put that lesson into a spiritual context, it transforms the way we come to participate in the Lord's Supper together. What we do here today is important, to be sure. What we do here today has great meaning for us, a symbolic act, and yet at the same time, it is something that provides us the opportunity to look both ways in our lives. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to invite you to turn there. And the message part of this service will be relatively short today, but that doesn't mean that it's inconsequential. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is addressing a church with a host of problems. Now, we say a church, but realistically, the Corinthian church was a series of house churches, and these house churches had all kinds of problems. If we work our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, we'll find by the time we get to chapter 11, he's already dealt with a number of things that were really not healthy about that church at all. In chapter 11 and the text that we're looking at today is, is specifically a, a cutout section. What we're going to look at is taken, lifted out of a bigger context. And the context is the way the Corinthian churches were abusing the Lord's Supper. Now, actually, they called them love feasts. And the way they abused those love feasts was they used them as ways to divide the congregation. There was this stratification that had occurred socioeconomically and otherwise, where the Corinthian churches were not doing the Lord's Supper in a way that was honoring God and remembering God correctly. So Paul writes, and our text for the day is, begins in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. And Paul says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're all familiar with those verses. And we'll go back through them again uh, during the uh, observance of the Lord's Supper here in just a little bit. But let's not lose sight of the fact that this is a cutout. Actually, it's an insert, if you will, because what Paul has done, as we go back a little bit, I'm not going to take the time to set all of that context uh, with Scripture reading necessarily, but Paul is taking on their abuses of disservice. And he's saying, here's the basis of what you do. And so if you violate the basis of what you do, you can't get it right in the overall context. So Paul goes back to what was revealed to him, what Jesus himself said in that night so many years before that, where Jesus instituted this thing we call the Lord's Supper, the ordinance that we celebrate. There are two looks that we have to get right. First, there is the backward look. Let's go as best we can to that upper room with those disciples the night that Jesus instituted this. And those disciples had been, according to John's gospel at least, and on Wednesday nights we've been working through the way Jesus prays in John chapter 17. And one of the things we've highlighted there we need to highlight here, and that is when Jesus pulls those disciples close to himself for that last supper that they have together, it is preceded by this long discussion Jesus is trying to lay out for those disciples what's about to happen. They understand enough of that to be greatly troubled, but they don't understand all of it yet. Matter of fact, they wouldn't understand all of it until well after the resurrection and they could look back through the cross and the entire cross event, and then suddenly it made sense. We look backward like they must have, those early disciples. When we come to this and we remember that upper room scenario, We look backwards and we go back to that day 30 years prior, more or less 30 years prior, when that little baby was miraculously born in that manger to a young virgin girl named Mary. What looked like on a human level a beginning was actually the beginning of the highest point of God's activity in salvation history. His son sent to earth as a human, but yet fully God. And he was on a mission. Those disciples had been the beneficiaries of walking with Jesus and listening to his teaching and observing his miracles and just doing life with Jesus for over three years. And that three-year stretch with them had totally transformed their lives. And they found themselves in that upper room as Jesus made these strange, cryptic kind of comments about this bread being his body and this wine being represented by that blood, by, uh, excuse me, his blood being represented by that wine. And, and his disciples must have been wrestling with that. And today, when we come here, we look backward. We remember that as best we can based on the references that we find in Scripture. Just prior to leaving, Jesus walks out into a garden with those disciples. 
And the most unexpected treachery occurred. Those are the precursors to what we remember today, but we have to remember those things because otherwise it's hard to make sense of Jesus dying on a cross. How, how could that be an appropriate thing to do? What we do here today, these elements that are before us, strictly symbolic, and yet they hold great meaning for us. We need the backward look because if we don't get the backward look right, then we really don't understand the forward look that we'll talk about in just a few moments. But the backward look has to push us into the reality of the cross and the entire cross event. How could the Son of God be killed on a cross? The answer to that, there's only one answer to that. There had to be a payment, a covering for sin. See, the backward look doesn't just take us and stop at the cross. We have to look way back to the earliest part of human history and we see where sin infected the human condition. All the way back at the Garden of Eden and stretching through every single person who has ever lived since then with the exception of Jesus Christ, every single one of us, including each of us today, every single one of us with the exception of Jesus Christ has a sin nature that has to be atoned for. It would be wrong for us today not to look backwards. It's captured for us in the phrase that Jesus used. It's in both of those two examples, both the bread and the wine. He says, do this and remember to me. There is that backward look. But the question we have to ask is, what do we remember What is it that he wants us to remember about this? And and part of the Corinthian church's problem was they remembered that, but they just made a celebration feast out of it. And and they're not all wrong with that. There's a certain amount of celebration that we ought to do with this too, not celebrating necessarily that Jesus had to die, but celebrating the fact that he chose to die for us, for you, and for me. But that only means something when we're willing to own the sin that put him on that tree. These are meaningful services for me, always have been. Most of the time in a worship service, I'm the one who's up here trying to get you to think about certain things. But you see, on these services, I have a lot of time built into the service where I have to think about me and my sin. I don't like doing that. I would much rather think about those positive, happy things that are out there. But the backward look tells us we have to go backwards and see the high price of sin and see the sufficient, the beyond sufficient sacrifice that Jesus was for our sin, and then we have to own it. And so in just a few moments that we have here, even now as you sit there, I want to I nudge you backwards. If I could do it in a graceful way, I would shove you backwards. Because we have to have the backward look. We have to own the sin that is ours. We have to own the sin that was responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. But it's a good thing to remember, not just the sin that put him there, but the grace and the power of God 
that let that be what we needed so that we might have life. See, the backward look causes us to be grateful. If we get it right, and I encourage you to get it right today, that backward look allows us to be grateful today. So when we come and do this in remembrance of him, it is the sacrifice, it is the horrible treatment that Jesus endured, it is the unthinkable physical attack, series of attacks that Jesus endured. But the backward look reminds us why he did it. For God so loved you. The backward look. But that pushes us to the forward look. Because as we look backward and we are sobered by the gravity of the cross event, the forward look gives us the cause to celebrate. Look at verse 26. This is, this is one of those little phrases. I, I think in the early service I said it's a, it's a bit of a throwaway phrase for us because we get so focused on other elements of what's going on in the Lord's Supper that sometimes we miss this. Verse 26, now as Paul, as he begins to summarize his argument with these Corinthian Christians relative to the Lord's Supper, he says this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, and here's that little throwaway phrase, until he comes. You see, the forward look for us helps us not get stuck in the past. The forward look as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper is the one that says we keep moving forward. Salvation history keeps marching forward to its appointed end and there will come a day when this will not be necessary anymore because he will come again. And then Matthew, in Matthew's presentation of this event, of the Last Supper, Matthew includes something that Jesus says that helps us to nail this down. Matthew 26 and verse 29, here's what Jesus says. I will, this is to his disciples. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of with you in my Father's kingdom. What a great forward-looking truth. <laughs> when I drink it with you. The backward look causes us to be grateful. The forward look allows us to be hopeful that this is not the end. And so you here today, as you came in with all of the struggles and all of the, the negatives, or at least they sure seem negative in your life today, pain, loss, there's coming a day when the trouble of this life will be long gone. On that day when Jesus comes back and those feasts that follow with him, we'll be able to remember, as he said, do this in remembrance of me with that forward look that says there's going to come a day, be hopeful. So when it comes to crossing a street, looking both ways is advisable. But when it comes to the Lord's table, Looking both ways is critical. We must look backward and remember. We must own our own sin. We must be grateful for the covering of that sin that only Jesus could and did supply. And because of that, we also remember into the future. Seems strange to say it that way. 
But we remember into the future that there comes a day when we will do this, not just with this group, but it will also include all of those who have gone before us in Christ. Tomorrow, or the day after tomorrow, excuse me, on Tuesday, our church will have a memorial service for one of the pillars of this church over the last several decades, Ed Allen. Think of Ed and his time with the Lord. Think of Ed and his experience with the Lord right now. Think of all those others in your life who have walked with the Lord and been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and made that personal decision to allow Jesus to be Savior and Lord of their lives, but yet their life here has gone on and they, they have moved on to their eternity in heaven with him. Think about the, that feast when we all, not just in our lifetimes, but all of history, those who have trusted in Christ, when we gather around the Lord's table there and Jesus fulfills his prophecy from Matthew 26. That's a great day. We remember forward. But you can't have that future unless you embrace the past. If you happen to be here today, you've never owned your own sin. You don't have a personal experience with Jesus Christ in the saving way that he offers to you. And you know that he died, but you haven't quite personalized the fact that he died for you. This day, this table says remember and respond. We invite you to do that with him today. At the end of our service, we'll have an invitation time. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you want to, we'd love to talk with you, and that's a good time to take that step. There is a third direction, by the way, and I'll close with this. I didn't say look three ways before crossing the street in the beginning because that doesn't make sense. But it makes sense when we come to the Lord's table. There's the backward look that allows us to be grateful, the forward look that dictates that we be hopeful. But there's the inward look that says you got to fix it. you got to fix that part of you that is not, well, as Paul has been saying to the Corinthians Christians, you're doing this wrong. You're, you're remembering Jesus, but you're putting stuff on him that doesn't fit who he is. And so in verses 27 and following to 1 Corinthians 11, the inward look says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of or will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As we come to this time at the table, let me invite you to spend a few moments on the inward look. Matter of fact, let me just ask you to bow your heads, if you will, at this time. Our deacons are going to move forward, and we'll begin observing the Lord's Supper together. But I'm going to invite you to take these moments to do the inward look. What's going on in your life? Where's Jesus in your life at the moment? And as we begin to distribute these elements to you, make sure that this is a genuine celebration. If there's something in your life that's not right with him, this is a great time to confess it and move on. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Use this time 
to that end.